uh, not an easy topic today to teach for certain. Um, you know, the subject of submission is not always an easy one to, uh, <laughs> to receive. Try teaching it. And, uh, but if you ladies, you know, are so determined, I'm happy to, to, to oblige you and continue to teach verse by verse, starting with verse 22. But uh, I was trying to, you know, for the sake of those children that are in the, in the I was hoping to kind of help them out and not cover those verses for them. But, but in joking manner, I'll continue where we left off last week. So if you remember... At the very end of uh, what we were teaching last week, uh, especially verses 15 through 21 of chapter 5, we were left with uh, some, uh, some things that would be a reflecting in our heart if we're walking in the Spirit. We would be reflecting the fact that we would be walking circumspectly. We would be walking with a clear view of what was happening all the way around us. We would see what God had for us, and we'd be walking straight on his path that he has for us, and we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't be devi- being uh, foolishly moved to the left or right in a way that would cause us to, to walk away from the truths of God. And then we knew that we needed to not only walk circumspectly, but we would be redeeming the time, the fact that we know that time is short and the Lord is coming back for us, and so why would we waste any time or any resource that God has given you and, 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 and the calling that God has for you and do something other than what God has called you to do and that is to, to minister to the lost and to encourage those in the faith and to be faithful in what the God has called you to be as a husband and as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a, uh, an employer, a co-worker. We're going to see these broken down here by Paul even more clearly under the subject there of submission but we can see that we need to redeem the time. Time is short. We need to be focused on what God has called us to do and be faithful in, what he's, in doing that. And, and you you don't want it to be diverted in any way. And he talks about, if you remember in verse 18, don't be drunk. Don't be influenced by anything, drugs or alcohol or anything that's going to cause you not to be able to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be empowered with the Spirit, to be clear-minded to do what he's called you to do. Because if you get diverted on the drugs and the alcohol and these other things that can divert you and, and influence your mind, it will take you away from the truths of God. And you will find yourselves doing things you know you wouldn't do if you were in your right mind. If you were filled with the Spirit, you would not be thinking those things. You wouldn't be going those places. You wouldn't be doing those things. There were the fights and the arguments and the complaints and the divisions. Those things would not happen because many times, as we will see in this culture, they were drunk and that was part of their culture. It was, it was just always just what you did. It's just how you relax. That's how you socialize. And, and it caused many, many problems, even in still today in our society. And then we would come to a point where we would be filled with the Spirit. We would be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, these truths, these spiritual songs. We'd be singing to our Lord. We'd have a melody, a joy, a deep joy within that you you can't even explain. Even with the chaos and the weather changes, you still have a deep joy. You're You're not swayed by that because God is filling you with his joy and peace. And you'd be giving thanksgiving, thanks for everything. God, you're just... I'm just so thankful for what you've done and, and continue to do in all things because you're, you're orchestrating my life. You're directing my life, and I can just be so thankful. Even with the challenges and the uncertainties and everything that goes on, you can still give thanks to God because you know God is in control of your life. You know that he orchestrates every step if you're a child of his and, you, and you're allowing him to work in your spirit. So you know that he's good. So when you go to places where you thought you would never have to go, You can still have joy. You can still give thanks because you know God is in control. 
And you have to have a submitted life. That's why it's in verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of God, a reverence of God. Just, just submit to him, to what his will is for your life and, and the direction he wants to take you and your family. And he, he obviously, there's a challenge within the Ephesian believers there. That, that church body, that, that part of the region, they had some challenges. That's why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling him to say and write these things down, he comes and he gives us a little bit more definition under the subject of submission today. Then he starts here in verse 22, and we'll see verse 22 through 24. He speaks first of, and he's going to speak to different, uh, different groups here. The first one is the wives. He's going to give some instructions to the wives about submissions. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So we see here in the very first one here, the speaking to the wives about submissions, about, about allowing uh, an understanding of how God sees and does things. And, and many times as we study the scriptures, we find that many times what we lean on our own understanding or how we feel or what the culture is doing the scriptures many times is, uh, is different, obviously, than what the culture dictates and what the, the latest and greatest top-selling book tells about uh, in regards to wives or about women. And so what happens is we always want to come back from a biblical worldview, not a worldly view, and because we, we know that God's word is true and accurate. And it doesn't matter if we fully understand it. We have to understand that it's true and it's right and it's good, and we want to understand it. In, in Romans 12, 10, and even in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, when Jesus was washing their feet, if you remember, he taught them that the greatest is the person who uses his authority to build up people and not like the Pharisees who to build up their, his own authority or make himself more important. But we are to esteem others more important than ourselves. And how important it is to have that humbleness, that understanding that we are not to make something of ourselves, but we are to be humble and to make sure we build up and encourage others in where they're at in regards to our lives. By nature, we want to promote ourselves. By nature, we, do, we want to be in control. By nature, we want to dictate how we want to live our lives. And, but the Holy Spirit enables us to submit to others and to, and, and to be willing to submit ourselves to others in regards to the roles and the responsibilities God has you in. Now, here in the very beginning, Paul, you know, Paul speaks to the fact that we are to are to, uh, to wiser to submit to your own husbands, but make sure you understand just this one verse alone that wives are submitting to not just to anybody, and it's not to all men. He, he makes it very clear that it's to submit to your own husbands. So it, many times there's teachings out there that says women are to be submissive to all men. That, that's not true. That's not, that's not biblically accurate at all. They're to have a, a sense of understanding that God has put uh, their husbands, as we saw in 23, ahead of the wife or a leader or to be in a position of authority within the household or between, in that marriage. And so the wives understand that they're not only going to be submissive to their husbands, but why are they going to be submissive to their husbands? Well, they're doing it because as unto the Lord, because the Lord has asked them to be 
uh, submissive in this marriage relationship. It wasn't society that dictates that. It's not, it is not the husbands that, that's dictating that. It is the Lord speaking to the wives in the position that he places them in the honor and the position of a wife to have a, 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 a a, a oneness within that marriage, there is a different authority or a different roles and responsibilities within that marriage. And so the Lord, the wife can sit there and say, Lord, I love you so much. What do you have me in the calling that you have for me called a wife? As I'm married to this husband, what am I to do? How am I to act? How am I to behave? Remember, this whole section, chapters 4, 5, and 6, was about how do you behave or how do you walk with the Lord and the different environments and situations you find yourself. And in this case, a calling on your life to be a wife, a great and honorable uh, calling that God has given you. And to be that wife, he says, I want you to be understand there's a position of authority within that marriage, and I need you to allow this man to lead you. Allow this man to, to come alongside this man and help this man in this what we call marriage. And so the wife's first instruction or commandment, one commandment, that's all God gives you as women, submit to your own husbands. One commandment. It's pretty simple. But how do you do that? As to the Lord. How do you submit? Well, I'm going to need to seek the Lord every day. Lord, how do, I, how, do I, how do I submit? How do I respect my husband in this day? What do you want me to do to come alongside my husband and show respect to him? In this subject, this subject, this, this situation, this, this, this scenario that's popping up. Lord, I'm coming to you because I love you and I want to be... Uh, obedient to the commandment you've given me. And, and so, Lord, I need your help. How do I respect? How do I submit to my husband in this subject matter? For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, he didn't put himself in that position. I assure you, most men don't want to be in that position. That's the problem within marriage. <laughs> it's because husbands don't step up and do what they're supposed to be doing. I'm going to get to you guys. Just hold on. I'm just talking to the wise right now. But I'll get to you. Scripture. You told me. You told me to keep going verse by verse. So I, I was going to skip it. But you told me to come back to teach this. God has put him in a position of authority. A headship position. That's what the word, that's the, what the, 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 the word head needs here is a headship or a position of authority. And and you, and you do that is because Christ, they're here in the end of verse 23, Christ is the head of the church. God says there's an order. And he doesn't change that order. He is consistent with that order throughout the scripture. And that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the head, the headship, the leadership, the, the head of the church. And that is the model that the marriage uh, relationship is modeled after. He doesn't keep it, I'm going to change it this week, you know, the great selling book is going to change how you have the best, you know, best marriage you'll ever have, and you'll have another book that'll come out another season, and it'll talk to you. It always tells you what to do, it just doesn't tell you why you do it. And God tells us not only why, but even how. 
to have a successful marriage, to, have a, 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 to be able to walk in harmony between a wife and a husband. He gives us very clear guidance on how to have that harmony. To have that wonderful relationship, and it starts with the fact that husbands are going to follow Christ. And as Christ leads the church, men, you must understand that God is putting you in a position to be leading your home. You must be that example. You must be engaged. You must sacrifice, sanctify. And we're going to see many things here that God is going to put responsibility on you as men. But wise, understand that because Christ leads the church, and because Christ is the one that puts you in, uh, head over the family, the, over that marriage, that you are to also be following Christ because he is the savior of the body. Not the savior and he's going to save you as a wife. But the word here, savior, is meaning protector of that wife. So husbands, wives, you understand that God is putting them in a position of authority. He's going to lead your marriage. He's going to be that example. He is going to be there for you. He is going to follow God's direction and how to lead you in that. And he's going to do that because he's a protector for you. God says, I need a protector for my, my, my daughter, my, this wife. I'm going to bring a protector, someone who's going to be there by her side. That's not going to leave her. That's not going to, to be disengaged. She can trust the fact that she can literally allow him to lead this marriage because he is going to be there. He's going to be fully engaged. He's going to seek after the things of God. And that God is going to empower him by the Holy Spirit to be able to lead in this marriage. That is why she knows without a doubt in her mind that she can allow God to work through that man's life to help her. That she has been brought as a calling of God to bring in his life to help him. And together there is a unity. That's what head means. There's, a, there's this authority, a headship. And that together there's a unified team here. An equal unified team. It's so easy in the military, right? It's so easy to tell the privates, you are going to be submissive to the generals. It's just simple. It's a rank over thing and it's a rank issue. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about going into a group of privates and says, you are to submit to one another. Now try that one. But that's what he's saying. Privates, you're all equal. Now submit to one another. Be willing to work together and to help one another to be successful in the mission that I have called you to do. Husband and wife, you're equal. God has called you to be a unified team. And then ultimately, someone's going to have to make a decision, and I am placing the, the husband as a head of the, of the home, and he's going, I'm going to hold him responsible for that marriage. So when the wives know the husbands are being empowered by the Holy Spirit, following and seeking after the things of God, knowing that he's not going to deviate from the word of God, she can just... Be at peace and be at, with joy and thanksgiving. The fact that God brought a protector or someone will come alongside her or she alongside him. And that as a unified team, they can have security. Men, let me give you a word of advice. Women want to be loved and they need to feel secure. 
and you men are flaking out there doing your own thing selfishly, you cause her not to be loved and you cause her to be insecure. And you wonder why she won't respect you or show you love or show you uh, be submissive in the decision makings that go on day to day within the household. And you wonder why you have conflict. Because inherently in her, when she feels insecure and unloved, it's going to cause her not to want to be submissive. She's going to bulk at your authority. She's going to question everything you do. She's going to check and triple check everything you do because she is uncertain of your walk with the Lord in your decision making. But when you do it God's way, ladies, when you do it God's way, give the man room to grow and mature in his walk with the Lord. Pray for your husband. Because when you pray for him, he will come and he'll rise to the occasion because God has called him to lead. And when he does lead God's way, you will be the happiest wife you can ever be. Because there'll be such security, such joy, such unity between the two of you. You will feel the love, you will feel the, the security, and you will be able to fulfill the calling of your life to be that faithful wife to that husband. Be patient with him. <laughs> we take it back to the Genesis, right? I'm always reminded of Genesis. That God took a part of man to create woman. A part of him. God took a part of him and put it into you as woman. You fulfill him because that section, that part he took from him, that rib, that, that, that side of him is designed for you to be along his side. To complete him. He's going to be different. God created man and woman differently. Don't listen to what society is teaching these days. Go back to what the scripture says. And you understand that he's going to think differently than you. That she is going to feel differently than you. And that you have to understand that God has created you differently. Not wrong, just different. And that together in unity as God puts you in different roles. In this case, the wife being a wife to a husband. One wife, one man coming together as one. A oneness that God, it's a mystery as we see, is going to, is, knows exactly how it's designed and how to work and the commandment to you as wise is to submit, to respect, to be subject to the leadership and the authority of your husband. That's how God designed it. Now, as we see that, we will find that in verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. <laughs> That's always an interesting verse, isn't it? Because we have to understand what is the model here. We see the model very clearly here that we in the church are subject to Christ. We don't have a say. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. Whatever he says goes. Whatever he, wherever he goes, we go. And so when he gives us direction by the scriptures, we are to do. We are to be immediate obedience. We're not to question that. 
And like that, we're to say, do wise have this ability that God is going to fill her with the Holy Spirit to be able to come alongside her husband and be subject or to be able to submit or to respect her husband's decisions in, in, in this relationship? Now, nowhere in this scripture says that the guys are in such control-wise that they do not ask for your input. That'd be an unwise husband. That'd be a foolish man if he doesn't get your input as a oneness because unity comes with communication. Oneness comes with sharing and talking about the subject at hand. But, and then seeking the Lord, both of you seeking the Lord. And then when you know as wise, your husband is seeking the Lord about these things, and you are too, God is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit to be able to come to a point where you say, all input was talked about, that you'll be able to come to a point where there'll be such peace that you know, whatever the final decision is, even if there is at odds. Remember, Submission is when you're at difference, but you're willing to allow him to make the final decision. Submission is not when you agree with him only. Oh, I submit to my husband all the time. He just does whatever I told him. That's not submission, wives. That's not submission. See, there's, two, there's a pendulum swing in the relationship here, right? You have the one pendulum when you say, as to the Lord, you're saying, well, you know, uh, Everything the Lord says and everything he does, I have to submit to it. It doesn't matter what it is. I have to submit because that's what the Lord says. And it's almost a legalistic perspective of the pendulum swing for the wives. Two camps. The, the, over here, everything. Well, why, did you, why did you be submissive to your husband when he told you to cheat on your taxes? Why were you submissive? No, you're, you're not supposed to, to cheat and go against the word of God. Well, it's as a, to the Lord. I'm supposed to submit to him everything. No, that's not what it says. If the husband tries to get you to sin, you are to say, no, I will not submit to that. That is against the Lord. I serve my Lord. I have, I'm not going against his word. What if your husband is in a car accident or something and becomes insane? I'm not saying you tell him. It's not because you think he's, your husband's insane, but literally he's insane. Like he's not able to think. He's had brain damage. Something He's not able to logically think through. You don't have to be submissive to that husband in that situation. If he commits adultery, he breaks the marriage vow, you don't have to submit and say, oh, it's okay, honey, you can continue to sleep around. No, no. No, no, don't get legalistic and don't go to that side of the pendulum. That's not what the scripture says. But then you have the other pendulum where the woman says, whoop, over on this side and says, honey, uh, I'll submit to you if you're willing to do what I tell you to do. That's not submission. That's having a dialogue, it's a discussion, having input, and a decision needs to be made, and the husband says, I need to seek the Lord, and, and I'll make the final decision here soon. I will let you know. And you say, okay, I'll submit to you. Whatever the decision is, you may say in your head, I know he is wrong. But you still are going to willing to submit because he's going to be held accountable by God, and God is going to do a work in that man if he makes a wrong mistake. You trust your Lord. Why? Because your calling is from God and you serve him. And God will give you the peace, ladies, to say, okay, that's the decision. I'm willing to submit. But if you say, I'm not submitting, you say, okay, fine, you make the decision. But then the next week or two, you're nothing but 
an angry, bitter woman inside and you're throwing things and you're not cooking and you're not going to do this and you're not going to help him with this and, and you react emotionally, you did not submit. Those were just words only, ladies. Your actions and your words and your behavior must follow in line with what you mean. When you say you submitted, it must line up. Well, now for the husbands. You ready? Here we go. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. <laughs> you have one commandment, guys. It's really simple. Love your wives. So many times people say, well, why doesn't God say to the wife to love her husband? Because it's natural for her to love you. God told Eve right from the very beginning, I'm going to put a desire in your heart for your husband. You, you can't get away with that. It's going to be so natural to love your husband. That's, it's not, that's, not, that's very easy. It's very natural. That's how God created. It's probably the rib. <laughs> that's the sense of maternal instincts and everything that God is, he's given to woman. And it's natural for her to love the, hus the husband. But it's difficult. It's not natural for the guy appears to love the wives, to, to die of self, and to love someone else. Because guys are very selfish. They're very, they can get really one-tracked and forget and, and don't even look up and sometimes forget to even eat. If the wife didn't come along and say, I better feed you because you're so focused. But it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. So you don't get to t say, well, of course I'm loving my wife. You don't get to define it. But Paul makes it clear the definition or the measurement of what the love should look like of how you love your wife. And it is to just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself to her. So the instruction Paul gives us to us, the husbands, is that you are to love your wife. And how do you love your wife? Unconditional. You're to sacrifice. You're to give up your dreams, your desires, your direct, what you want to do. You give that up for the sake of her. But I've always had a childhood dream, and I don't, you know, she'll figure it out. She'll adjust. Because I'm going to go do my own thing. No, 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 no. You give up your desires. You are to live for that woman. God has brought you a calling on your life. He's brought you a wife that is good because you would probably die if he didn't renew that woman. That wife is what sustains you. Because he says, God says in the scripture, it's not good for a man to be alone. He understands you as a man. Not only emotionally, not only Physically, mentally, but spiritually, God says, I'm bringing you a woman and I'm bringing you a man so that you can fulfill your life the way I designed it. I've given you a natural sex drive. I'm bringing you a woman, a spouse, to help you in that area. I know emotionally you need this person in your life to help you through that emotions or mentally or physically, or spiritually, I am bringing you this man, I'm bringing you this woman to help you in your spiritual walk. 
And when you understand that, when you understand what God is saying here, man, I am bringing you to this woman and this woman into your life because I need you to love her. I need you to love her just like I have loved. I love the church. I sacrificed for the, my children, for the people in the church. I sacrificed. I gave myself to her. Why? Verse 26, that he might sanctify and to cleanse her with the washing of the water of the, by the word. So how are you going to love? How are you going to give? How are you going to sacrifice? You're going to do that because that way God can use you in her life by sanctifying her or cleansing her or to, to wash her, to, to help meet her needs. To be that leader that's going to share the word of God. To be that example of living out the word of God. To be there alongside her to help her in understanding of the word of God. And vice versa. God is going to use you in this unified team to help each other. Verse 27. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. So we see even more clarity here. That this is so important for us to understand that the marriage is modeled after the church. That in verse 27 you see that he, God, presented her, the church, to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle. Or any such thing. God is going to use the husband and the woman and the wife's life to come alongside and help her, to minister to her, to encourage her, to cherish her, to help her to feel that love and the security that she needs. That she's going to know that you're going to be faithful to be beside her. That you're going to take the time to listen and to understand her. The scripture says you must know thy wife. That means as, as men you must study her. You must know her what your thoughts are. You must know her likes and dislikes. You must take the time. And you're sitting there saying, Pastor, you're crazy. I can't even figure her out. She said she can't even figure herself out. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. To be able to give you and empower you to be able to understand how to come alongside and to sanctify her and cherish her, cleanse her, help her, support her. Because the spot <coughs> refers to the outside world has a way to influence your life. The outside world wants to, as you go out in the week and you're going about your day, the world is constantly spotting your wife. Trying to influence her and dirty her up in some form or fashion. 
planting things in her head emotionally and everything else, and the fears of this thing that goes on, and all these emotions, and, and, and just, it can really have impact on your wife. God says, he's using you, husbands, to come and help her. Scripturally, help her to understand that that fear that she is facing and how God sees it. And that she can be secured in Christ. That when the world says she has to be a certain way, you can come alongside and reassure her that you, that that is not, that's not, that's not biblical. That's not, that doesn't line up with the scripture. That doesn't, that's not what you're expecting of her. That your view is how God sees her. The, the wrinkle refers to the inner, the inner person. He wants you to make sure that she's in the word of God. That she's she, helping her to, through your example, to, and coming alongside that, encourage her to walk with the Lord. A oneness. When it comes to marriage, when you're, if you're single and you're looking to be married, you have to understand, you can look at a guy and say, whoa, look at him. He's a great looking guy. Whoa, look at the job that he has. Oh, look at his abilities. Look at what his past is. Look at the family name. But do you know that none of that matters when it comes to choosing a husband and when it comes to choosing a wife? What matters is can you, woman, wife, to be, respect that man? And if you can look and say, I can respect that man right as he is, right where he is, where God has him right now, then he is the one. If you're looking at this wife and say, is she the one? The question is, and what you should ask yourself, does she respect me? Will she listen and take and come along and lead? Can I lead her? Am I, is she willing to follow my lead? And if she's willing to do that because, it's, because God is directing her, then she's the one. But if she's not wanting to be led, oh, Scripture is very clear. It's best that she has not found the right man. She's best to stay single. Because the last thing you want to do is get in a relationship where you are leading. Because the women, I'm telling you, if you lead in your family, in your marriage, eventually that man will submit to you, and now you have a child, you do not have a leader, and he will become more and more distant and so disconnected and allow you to just, it's just easier for her to make all the decisions because as long as she's happy and she lets me go do my thing, I'll, I'll be fine, I'll, I'll tolerate it. That is not a design of God. So don't cause your husband to come into submission because you nag and pick and whatever it takes to get him to do what you want him to do. Because you will get a child and he'll act like a child and he'll be in emotionally and, and, and won't have any self-control and you wonder why your marriage is going to fall apart. You need to be patiently, by the power of the Holy Spirit, allow him to lead. And be patient for him to finally get around to step up and lead. That's how God designed it. And if you go anything other than that, you will have chaos within your family.
So husbands, you're to love your wives. You're going to have to pray every day to ask God for help to figure out how to love your wife. Because each day is a different day. What worked yesterday is not going to work tomorrow, I assure you. But he, he, he kind of keeps it help, uh, easy for you guys, for us. How does he do it? He says, love your own wives as your own bodies. <laughs> I assure you, when you're hungry, nothing stops you. You do nothing but think about yourself all day long. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. You think about yourself all the time. God is saying, as much as you think about food, you should be thinking about her. <laughs> and not just because she provides the food, okay? That's selfishness. I need wife because she cooks my food. No, that's wrong. <laughs> That'd be a bad thought process going down that path. You should be giving thanks every day. God, thank you for bringing my wife who can cook and who cooks really well. That's okay. It's, that's good. But he keeps it very simple. You take care of yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror every day. You make sure you're looking good and you make sure you're taken care of and you, you, you like your things a certain way and you want orders. To, he just says, as much time you spend getting your life and your bodies in order, you should love your wife as yourself. You should be really paying attention to your wife. As much as you send attention to yourself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Nourishes it physically, cherishes it emotionally, mentally. Oh, there's a psychobabble that runs out of there around the place and even in the church world. Oh, for me to love my wife, I first have to love myself. No, the scripture says right here, no, no one ever hated his own flesh. Figuring out how to love yourself is not the problem. <laughs> the problem is, is us dying to self and living for someone else. That's the problem. That's what hinders you and I, being able to love our wives. Verse 34, we are members of his body and of his flesh and members of his bones. For 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one Flesh, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So God has come and has shown the two of you, this is your Eve, this is your Adam. You're coming together and you're going to become one flesh. You're going to be a unified team, equal, with two different callings to help one another and support one another, but then to go out and, as we will see, to also God can bring his children, as called children, his children into your life and allowing you to have children between you and your spouse. That's a wonderful thing. It's God designed. 
But what, catch what we see here is that once God brings a man and a woman together, they are to then, uh, they are to have um, the influence, the, maj the major influence between the, the decisions and how and where and all these things that go on in life is between the husband and the wife and seeking the Lord and his direction and will for that marriage. You no longer, as we see here, obviously there's a challenge, and if you've been around and it may be happening in your family, I don't know, but I know for a fact, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, meaning your father and mother no longer has the say and the influence over your life. Now it's between you and your spouse. Too many families, there's challenges in the marriage because the wife or the husband listens to their parents and the parents have influence within their marriage that cannot happen. It should never happen where you as a spouse goes back to your parents and complain about your husband or complain about your wife. That should never happen. Never. Because what happens is you're influencing the mindset of those parents. And now that person, if you've resolved the issue in your marriage, now they're still tainted by your, has some negative opinion about your spouse because you were negative about them, uh, about a situation. You should never keep it within the marriage. The only time that you go outside the marriage is if you need biblical support of understanding of God's view on that situation, then you come to the elders of the church and we will help you in regards to what God's view is of that situation. But you're no longer allowing the, husband, the father and mother to have an influence over your marriage. You must work that out between you three, the Lord, and the two of you. Because two shall become one flesh. Because whatever you do will impact your other half. Decisions you make or don't make will in, have a positive or a negative effect on your other half. And you must understand that. You do not live in an isolated life. Everything impacts those around you. Verse 32, this is a great mystery. In verse 33, nevertheless, very simple, straightforward. If you ever read the book, Love and Respect, highly recommend it. But this is what the verse is based upon and is solid. And that is, nevertheless, regardless of all the things we just talked about, just remember a couple of things. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife. Husbands, love your wife, one commandment, as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband or submits to her husband. Love and respect. You want to know how to engage in a good, solid marriage? Learn your role and responsibility. Learn and be faithful in your commandment that God has given you. And you will watch. The reason why there even is any problems between a husband and wife is because of sin. And that's the word selfishness. That's what causes the majority of the problems within a marriage is selfishness from one or both parties. And once the 
God reveals, if you're in the word of God and in your fellowship, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. You just need to repent and change and come back in, in, in forgiveness and get any bitterness and, 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 and any of that stuff out because to forgive and allow God to heal and come back into this oneness and unity and understanding your roles and responsibilities and how God designed it. And you will see how God can restore. I've watched over the years in ministry some really bad marriages God heals and restores if you allow him to do that in your life and in the marriage life. We continue here and in chapter 6 here. We're going to see, we saw the instructions for the wives. We saw the instructions for the husbands. Now we're going to see in this next section instructions for the children and for the fathers. Good, good verses, just four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it, will, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath and bring them up in the training of the admonition of the Lord. So two, two more groups or two more parties here that God is giving instructions to. First of all, to the children. It says... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So it's interesting. Here's Paul. The Holy Spirit gives him the words. He writes down in this letter. He sends the letter to the Ephesians uh, uh, believers here. And they, they start reading the letter. Paul is directly speaking to the children who are listening to the teaching of the word from this letter. And he says to the children, hey, obey your parents. How are you to obey your parents? In the Lord. Because they're Christians. They're following me. They're seeking after me. I have given them to you. You to them, I should say. I've given you these parents. I'm going to instruct these parents. They're going to seek after me how to raise you up, how to do these things I'm calling you to, them to do. But hear what I need you to do, children. Honor your father and mother. which is the first commandment with promise. What's that promise? That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. We get that promise from the fifth commandment of the 10 commandments. But you see there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 in Deuteronomy, he tells the children, they know more than you. <laughs> children, you might think your parents don't know anything. But they really do know more than you. And you need to honor them. The fact that they're your parents. What does that mean, to honor? Well, first of all, obviously not talk bad about your parents. Not to be rebellious about your parents, even though children are rebellious, aren't they? They start as, a, as rebellious, sinful little kids. Wicked little sinners. And the cute little bodies. The cute little feet. But they have a tendency to get bigger feet. And they tend to have a rebellion until, until they get to the age where they can understand who Jesus Christ is and give their life to Christ. But even then, they still need to grow and mature emotionally and physically and spiritually. They need to continue to grow. And that's what parents are designed to do. So he's saying to the children, honor your parents because they have a lot of responsibility. I gave... You to them. 
And I'm holding them responsible of raising you up until you're old enough to live on your own. So honor them. Does it stop there? No. You're to continue to honor your parents until your parents are no longer around or no longer needed or are no longer, you need to be able to support them or help them in some form or fashion. So you're, it doesn't start only good to, well, okay, once I get out of the house, I can, I can dishonor my parents all I want. No, that's not what it means. Back in this culture, if you remember, the culture was the fact that you were to honor those parents. Through the Old Testament, it's very clear that you were to honor the parents. But if you remember, all the great commandments all come from the Old Testament, come into the New Testament, except for obeying the Sabbath. So the, all the other commandments that God gave us in the Old Testament still apply within the New Testament. The, ki the kids are to honor their parents. They're supposed to support their parents in some form or fashion and come alongside them and help them and encourage them. To be able to come alongside them and, and, and show respect. <clears throat> I, I, I give you the best example. If a couple walks in and says to me, Pastor, I want to get some counseling. We want to talk to you about, we want to get married. One of the first questions I always ask the couple, do your parents know and, and do they, are they in agreement and are they supportive of this of this?" possible marriage and sometimes I can see in their face that they haven't even thought about asking their parents even bringing any input on their parents that even let alone ask for permission to marry their daughter or the fact that they're they look at me like are you kidding me what did they do that anymore in this society no that probably they don't but that's a form of honoring your parents kids is to show respect and to show honor by coming along and saying I want your input. I, I believe God is showing me to marry this woman, and I would, I'm going to go, I, I want your input. I want your thoughts about these things. What can you share with me about getting married? This, this is important to show honor to the parents. Today, and we see in the scriptures when the time comes closer and closer to the end times here, the last days, Children actually become very disobedient and very go, it goes completely against the authority, let alone honoring their parents in any form of that. They almost toss them aside like they have no value anymore. Hearts grow cold and selfish in the end times. But God says to the children, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. Because if you do that, what does it mean that are you going to, what happens if, if a child dies early? Does that mean he was really dishonoring the parents his whole life? No. What it means is that when he, the scripture here, he says that you're going to have, may be, be well and that you may live a long life on earth means that you are going to honor your parents by talking and communicating with your parents. The parents are going to then communicate with you, teach you and train you as we will see. And they're going to pour their lies into you so that you can learn from their own past, their own mistakes, or learn what the scripture says. So that if you are obedient and, and you would listen and, and you just follow their example, what will happen is you will not make the same mistakes your parents made. They will not make the mistakes that the world is making because they're going to be pouring into you to help you not to make those same mistakes. And they will not make mistakes that will cause you to have a shortened life. Don't mess with that. You could get a disease and you could die. Don't be messing with the drugs and alcohol because you can shorten your life dramatically. 
don't get messed up with this person who is a non-believer who's doing these things because it's going to mess with you emotionally and spiritually and physically. It's going to mess you up. You don't want to go down that path. So he's saying to the children, honor your parents, communicate with them, let them pour into your lives, listen, be obedient, and you will have a much longer life. You will not make the same mistakes as your parents are making because you're going to listen and, and trust what they're saying because it's lined with the scriptures. And it'll be a good life for you. Now, it's interesting in this relationship between children and parents. <laughs> if you notice in verse 4, he says, and you fathers. <laughs> now we're hearing the next group. It doesn't say mothers, but it, it does pertain to mothers too. But fathers have a tendency to cause some problems with their kids. Again, I think the mother got the... <laughs> The rib that really is important, and it's a section that we don't have, and sometimes we say, and not a whole lot of feeling of, of uh, compassion when we communicate sometimes, or very direct. But it says here, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So what do we see here for this group, the fathers? Fathers, we have a, channel, a tendency to provoke our children. How is that? How, how do we have a tendency to be provoking to our children? Probably the top of the line is that we set expectations for them higher than an unrealistic expectations for our kids at a young age. That will provoke your children to anger because you keep pushing and pushing to tell them to do things they're not capable or able to do at that point in their life. You know what else provokes them? Dad, I want you to engage in my life. I want you to be part of my life. I want you to do something at a very young age, and you're too busy to do those things. That will provoke your children because you recognize that you do not really care what they, what they care about in their life. You know what pokes the children and provokes them? When they're excited about something and you just push it down and debate, oh, that's a, a conviction for me this week. That how many times there were the, the girls are so excited. And I can't emotionally get wrapped up in that. I just don't emotionally connect with why she's very excited about something. And I'm like, well, what about this and this and this? And I get all logical and solution-like, and it just deflates them. It can provoke your child to, to anger. We can go on the list. I'm not here to condemn you, Dad. I'm just saying, seek the Lord about these things because God knows that we have a tendency to provoke our kids because we're not fully engaged in loving them and training them up and building them up in their faith to train them up. This is not just spiritually what the word of God says, but I'm talking spending the time patiently to teach them how to do a task. I can't do it. I, I, I can't do this, and I don't have time. And maybe some other time. And, 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 the, and the son just wants to come alongside him and wants to build with him. Take the time to teach him how to build. I'm too busy. I, I don't have a way to do this and this and this. And, and take the time. They need to learn from you. And this applies to you, wives. 
but God has just designed you differently. And, and, and the challenge for you wives and for, even for guys is we have to watch not to nag our children, not to smother our children, not to, 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 to be so controlling we don't allow them. Even You can even provoke them to anger when you're on the pendulum swing where you're so tight with them, you're so structured with them that they have no ability to breathe and experience and understand. Any, you just say, don't do it. Why? Just don't do it. Or you get the other side and you'll be so permissive because you've listened to the logic of this world, the psychology out there that says, oh, let your children go and freely live their life and live because the only way they're going to live is and learn is by making their own mistakes and, and we just don't want to because if you discipline them and if you train them up and discipline them and put boundaries on them then you're squishing their creativity you're, 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 you drive me crazy when you think that way you must discipline your children you must train them up you must teach them in all things of life you must help them get physically fit. You must help them to mentally develop. You must help them spiritually grow. You must, every aspect of that child, you're held responsible. And I don't care if you can afford the best institutions out there in private schooling, you are held responsible for that child and no other institution. Because today, I'm telling you, Christian families are turning their children over to institutions that are destroying their children. That does not neglect or negate your responsibility of raising them up. That is your responsibility when the word of God is clear as can be. You must stay engaged. He gave you children not so you have some family picture you've always dreamed of. And I've always wanted one boy and one girl and they're like token little things and we can take pictures and dress them up. No, 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 no. You're completely misunderstanding what it means to have children. God wanted you to continue the human race and he wants you to raise them up. He brings you his children and he wants to teach you to teach them how to, to grow up in the ways of the Lord so that they can go out into this this world to be light and salt, to reach the lost and to encourage those in the faith. That is why he's creating you. They're not for you dads to provoke them to anger because you want to live your life that you never had as a child and teenager and live it through their life. You will provoke your son to anger. Learn from the scriptures, do it God's way, and don't repeat the mistakes from generation to generation to generation. And finally, we see the last section. We see two more. We see the employee and employer. We see the, the bond servants and the masters here. We are to be not only submissive as a wife, submissive as a husband, submissive as a child, submissive as a father, but we also need to be submissive as an employee. He says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service and as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that what that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So remember, Paul is speaking to six million plus slaves in that Roman Empire. And some of those got saved. They loved the Lord. They were in the fellowship there. But these slaves, day in and day out, were responsible to the masters over them. During that time, the masters had the ability to kill those slaves, but most of the time they didn't because slaves were very expensive. So they're not going to kill someone they, they spent a lot of money on. Paul is speaking to them. Those who are there, who are there serving day in and day out, doing what they're called to do, making the bricks or whatever they were doing for their masters, for their employers. They were coming and God is saying to them, Paul is writing here, that in the flesh, in this world, the secular environment that you find yourself, you are to be obedient to those who are your supervisor or your bosses, the CEO. You are to be obedient. How are you to be obedient? Both with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, you are going to do that because Christ is who you love. And out of that love for Christ, you know he's going to give you the strength to be able to serve in the capacity you find yourself as a slave today or as an employee in a work environment today. That through reverence, through that fear, through that respect, through, through the, 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 the trembling and the understanding of the, of, of the uncertainties that can come in that position you find yourself in, but in the sincerity of heart, with the right attitude, with the right heart, you are going to go in day in and day out and serve those who are over you. To submit to those who are over you. And you don't do it with eye service. You don't look and be submissive and show that you're a good employee only when your boss is around. That's just eye service. Wait, 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 here comes the boss. Make sure we get everything in order. Pretend you're pertinent. Flip some pages. Click away on the computer. And it's just eye service. That's, God says, no, no, that's not how you look. Or as man pleasers. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to figure out how to way to please this person because I want more money and I want this, this, this. I mean, no. Because if you're going to sit there and go day in and day out and go to try to please men, you'll never please them. And you'll get frustrated and then your attitude will change and you will hate life and you'll hate work and everyone around you at work will, be, will hate the fact that you hate and don't like. You and I, as a Christian, who are in employment situation, we are to go in, verse 7, doing will, goodwill doing service. We should have just, this should be a, a goodness. There should be something that is consistent. And, and our yeses are yes, and our noes are no. And our, we're just a, a person who is just serving and just consistent in a way that people reflect the fact that there is a joy, there's a peace, there's a, there's a stability, the fact that you are just. Thankful for what Christ has provided and where he has you. Because you serve the Lord as to the Lord and not to men, verse 7. 
Because you know whatever you do and you do it for the Lord and you go there faithfully serving as an employee, you know that God is going to, you're going to receive the same from the Lord. You're going to reap what you sow in that environment as an employee. And so you go to work and you know whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. It doesn't matter. God is going to be right there with you in that situation, that calling as an employee in that place. Just be obedient. Be submissive. With a willing heart. And then we see in verse 9, we'll close with this. And you masters, you employers, you leaders of that company, you CEOs, do the same, do this, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Newsflash for you CEOs. Newsflash for you employers who oversee many employees. God doesn't think you're more special than them. So take the rank and recognize you may have rank, but that does not, God does not have partiality. He doesn't see you more special than someone who has no rank. And he knows your tendency is to threaten them. He says to you as a Christian master, employer, leader, supervisor, you, you have to get, you've got to give up threatening your people. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell them they're not going to have a job if they don't straighten up. You need to give up threatening. They don't do what I want them to do and they're not going to be with a good heart. I'm going to give them extra duty. Stop threatening Because out of fear, they might comply to what you tell them to do only for so long. And then they'll figure out a way to get around it. And you're, you're dead in your position. You'll be ineffective. Yeah, you may have 100 men listening to you, but you'll have 100 men wishing they were never around you. God says you will lead people by love not out of fear. You need to learn how to help the people to understand and be motivated by your example of willing to do what they do and that is be obedient and submissive and to serve those who God has put under your authority. You're to serve them. You're to support them. You're to be there to encourage them. You're to be there to help them to bring the greatness out of them that God has instilled in them, to whatever their abilities are. That is what you do as a leader. It's easy for someone to fire someone. It is, that, that takes nothing. That takes no skill whatsoever. What is, what is good is the ability to bring out the best in that individual through encouragement. Through example, through patience and long-suffering, through kindness that they will then turn around 
and we desire to do their best to the best of their ability. That takes leadership. Threatening and firing takes no leadership whatsoever. So God is saying to you, masters, do the same things. Don't do it out of eye service. Oh, I love my employees. And then turn around and do things that are completely contrary. Be faithful in what God has called you to do. As a, as, a, as, a, as a child of God in these positions that God has shown us, you're the wife, you're the husband, you're the child, you're the, you're the father, you're the employee, you're the employer. We are all submissive to someone. We are all to be respectful to someone. We are all to be subject to someone. And you, to be a leader, you must first be a servant. Jesus didn't say be a leader. He says to be a servant of all to be a leader, did he not? Let God do a work in us today. Let us see our roles, our responsibilities based on how God has designed it and receive what God has for us. And then ask God to help us to change where he needs to change in the positions we find ourselves.